I love a good podcast, as you know, and I'm always happy to share resources for parents who are looking for creative, smart content that both entertains and offers enrichment for curious kids everywhere. So I'm happy to let you know about this awesome new show from the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild, The Adventurous World of Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. The series explores themes that kids like ours love, like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and more. And episodes transport kids into iconic periods in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England. So cool. New episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a perfect length for those car rides, for meal times, for break times, and bedtimes. What I love about this show is that it's kind of like listening to a book on tape. The story is captivating and includes lots of problems listeners can try to solve. The voice actors are fantastic, and the math concepts are seamlessly weaved into the narrative. It's exactly the kind of show Ash would have loved a few years ago, especially during our homeschool years, because finding that perfect blend of entertaining and educating, it isn't always easy. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. I define play as using creativity, playing with our whole body, exploring our senses, really having fun and growing through that experience learning about yourself. I think kids learn the most about themselves through play. Adults, we need to play more. Play is where you learn, that's where you create, and that's where you develop your sensory system. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. My name is Debbie Reber, and I'm the host of this show. And today we are going to talk all about play. We know that play is the language of preschoolers and that for young children, it can be the key to learning. But play is also a powerful tool for supporting differently wired children of any age in developing skills, processing difficult situations, and learning about their own emotions and how to regulate them. It can also be a fantastic tool for parents to tap into as a way to move through the challenges of everyday life, everything from bedtime struggles to waiting in line at the supermarket. To tell us exactly how to best utilize play, I have Dr. Allie Tickton on the show. Allie is a licensed occupational therapist with a specialty in sensory integration and early childhood development. Her life's work is to empower children to celebrate their differences through play And she believes it's necessary to customize each child's treatment to his or her needs. She's also the founder of Play to Progress, a play-based learning center that guides children and their families through development while combining a nurturing environment with the just right challenge. There are a lot of great nuggets to be gleaned from our conversation, including simple reframes that can not only help us have more success as parents, but also make life at home with our children more fun. Thank you so much. And now here's my conversation with Allie. Hey, Allie, welcome to the podcast. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. I'm looking forward to this conversation because we're talking about play, which 
I'm a huge fan of and believer in the benefits of play. So as a way to get started, can you just take a few minutes and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about the work that you do in the world. Absolutely. My name is Allie. I am an occupational therapist. I'm trained in sensory integration, and that really is my passion. And through it and working in different sensory clinics, I was noticing that kids were having a lot of one-on-one therapy, but it wasn't necessarily being carried over into the classroom or at home. So I wanted to create a way to help kids understand how to understand their own body within a group setting. So I started these different groups where we really work on how do I manage my body in a classroom when maybe I'm different than my friend. And the truth is, I think all kids are completely different. We can't expect kids to conform to this one way, which classrooms do expect. So I created these different groups and I really work with parents on helping them to understand their own child, whether it means how to adapt their home, what their child needs and the differences in their body. And often I'll get parents say, oh, this was me as a kid and I was always getting in trouble and they didn't really understand themselves. And now they're starting to through their child. So I really work through play to help kids understand themselves, advocate for themselves and also help their support network understand them. So what does that actually look like? Can you give me an example of maybe an avatar for a a typical client and the kinds of things they they might be struggling with? Or, you know, are, are these necessarily differently wired kids? Or is it any child who's struggling in some capacity? Good question. It may be kids who are differently wired, but it also just may be your typical child. I personally believe we're all wired differently. And there's a big spectrum to how we are wired, yet we're expected to conform to this average, you know, let's sit in circle time for 30 minutes. My average client gets referred to me for things like they're in preschool and they're having trouble sitting in circle time. Maybe they're hugging peers too much. Maybe they're getting up or being disruptive in circle time. I have a few clients who are seeming, I'm saying seemingly because it's not really aggressive out of being mean. They may be acting out aggressively in class, whether that means hitting, but they're not actually doing it to be malicious. They're doing it because they're seeking sensory input. We call it dysregulation, having difficulty with regulation. And that's kind of our main referral are kids who struggle to regulate and conform to what's expected in the classroom. And so is is your work then, is it to get these kids to conform or is it to help them have a better understanding of who they are and, and how their bodies work? Because, you know, we know that there are some environments are more restrictive than others. And even from preschool to preschool, there's a wide variety of what's expected or accepted in the in the classroom. So what is your goal when working with kids? Good question. My true goal would be that all schools, preschool through elementary through high school, start to recognize that kids are have different needs and we need to change our classrooms. In the meantime, we're not there yet. So I help children to understand that when their body needs something, and I'll help them to build, we call them sensory boxes, different toolboxes to have with them in the classroom where they know I can go get that weighted ball and roll it on my legs during circle time because that's going to help me what we call staying in the green zone, stay calm and do whole body listening and do what is expected of me within this setting. So we it's a kind of a combination of both. We work with schools, we work with parents to help as much as we can to bring in accommodate accommodations, 
but also for the child to understand when to use those accommodations. When can I go get that sensory ball that I need? When can I advocate and say, I need to go get a drink of water because I just need to get up? Okay, so let's talk about play. And before we even dive deeper into play, how do you define it? I think it conjures up different images for for anyone listening in terms of what that means. So how do you define play? I define play as using creativity, playing with our whole body, exploring our senses, really having fun and growing through that experience, learning about yourself. I think kids learn the most about themselves through play. Adults, we need to play more. Play is where you learn. That's where you create. And that's where you develop your sensory system. And would play look like any number of things? Is it playing games? Is it imagination? Is it sports? And is it, do you kind of follow the child's lead when figuring out what play looks like for them? Good question. I see play, yes, as in any number of things. It could be playing house, playing dolls. It could be riding your bike, whatever that child needs. It could be playing something very, very structured like a board game. What I don't see play as is the iPad or the TV or really anything electronic. Um, I see play as toys that don't interact for you, but you have to create the interaction. So even with babies, not a light up toy that does everything for you, but how do I actually play with this item? So let's talk then about the connection between play and supporting kids in their development, supporting them in learning. So say more about that, that idea that the two are connected, deeply connected. They are deeply connected. How kids learn is through play. We know we're seeing a lot more sensory difficulties and a lot more behaviors in this generation because kids aren't playing. They're not being forced to develop the skill to problem solve. How do I be creative? They're expecting everything to be done for them, right? An iPad tells you how to play. It doesn't teach you to play. So anything, any of these toys that actually help you get the problem-solving skills that will later on help you in math, the ability to be creative, which if you think of so many of our jobs as adults, we need to be creative, right? That's how we create whatever it is that we're creating for you. It's this podcast. You're able to be creative within it. All of these core skills that will define and help us later on in our life first come from play. And one of the core things that comes from play is the development of our sensory system. Starting when you're very, very young and you're playing in the grass, in the mud, that's all exposing you to different textures. As you're riding your bike, you're getting a different type of input. When you're jumping off of something and crashing, that's another type of input. These are all things that help to develop our sensory system, which really help to define who we are. So, okay, that's super helpful. I'm just thinking about also ages, right? So a lot of things we're talking about, I'm thinking of preschool and early elementary kind of younger kids when I play is more maybe intrinsic, or it's just something that they are expected and naturally want to do. So what does it look like at at different, different ages? Can you give us some examples? Absolutely. So when we start in infancy, really young, three plus months, play is on their tummy, right? They're just exploring the different textures. So putting them on their tummy to explore grass, starting to 
notice different lights, different patterns. That's play at that age. Eventually, they'll start to do very, very simple parts of play where they'll do container play, put this inside that. As we get a little bit older into the preschool age, we start to see some parallel play and then eventually they explore playing together. And the play looks very, it has a lot of imaginary components to it. So you'll go into a preschool and all of a sudden the kids have just come up with a game where there's a dragon and they're chasing and they all know their role. And one thing that's tricky with kids who are differently wired is they have trouble jumping into that play because they can't read the situation and can't figure out how do I get into this. And there isn't really directions. Kids don't ask, can I play with you? They just jump in and figure out the situation and play. As you get older, it ends up a little bit more structured. So whether it's soccer, playing more structured sports, and everything has a little bit more of a definition within the play and less imaginary, but still imaginary play is there. Just when you get into those years where you're the end of elementary school, the kids are playing things like, let's do a pickup soccer game. Let's play basketball. The girls may be playing gymnastics. What about kids who aren't sports oriented, which I know a lot of our listeners, you know, their their kids are not into that. Would their play be maybe art building things? Okay. Okay. So taking a box and building it into a rocket ship, things like that. Okay. So for many years, uh, my son Asher, who's now 14, but when he was probably between the ages of five and nine, five and eight was doing occupational therapy at, you know, floor time. And it was all play-based. And it was fascinating for me as a parent to watch what his, you know, how his therapist would just try to engage with him in the play and just go all in. A lot of it was imaginative play. Sometimes it was just the two of them. Sometimes the other kids who were getting therapy at the same time would join in. And that was really interesting (laughs) to to watch and see how they would figure out how to work together. But as a parent, I learned a lot from watching Chris working with Asher. But I'm wondering if you have any advice or thoughts on how parents can tap into this sense of play, especially you know, when they're going through more challenging times? Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's a lot you can tap into from figuring out emotions through play. And it starts with a parent knowing how to access play within their child. And I think the first piece is a parent drawing back and realizing play at that age is not so structured. And so let's meet the child where they're at. Oftentimes, I'll have a kid come in, and they'll be talking about an ice cream shop and I'll say, okay, let's build an ice cream shop and we're on a swing and the swing is the ice cream maker and we're swinging on it to grind the ice cream and kind of coming up with these fun things. So I think it's following your own child's interests and leads and getting into their world really, really helps to then allow them to come back into your world. And then you guys have this moment together where you're able to truly communicate. So it seems like parents to have to just be willing to really just to go there and be kind of silly or, you know, I think for a lot of parents, this may feel really unnatural, you know, to, to just be silly and imaginative and and not try to control the situation. Completely unnatural. And I think that's the power of, for me, I bring parents into our session and I get them to be silly with me. 
Because if they're silly with me and they see me doing it also as an adult, they can imitate me a little bit more and then go home and imitate that. But it's completely unnatural. I'll give you an example. I recently had a father in with me and, you know, I said, he's really into Star Wars. Let's get him to work. This child has a really hard time playing. And I said, let's build on the Star Wars. There's so many things you can do. And we had created this whole imaginary world within Star Wars. And I had the dad come and join us. And he was like, well, that's not how you play it. Those aren't the real rules. That's not the real character. And I was like, but we're just being flexible. We're being within his world. And I really had to coach this dad on coming out of his own structured rules that we as adults have to meet his son where he was at. And when we do that, what's possible? You know, when we can really lean into our kids, what what have you seen can really change for them, especially kids who struggle with regulation and sensory issues? That's where we can see not only the parent understanding the child more, but the child understanding what his parent needs more and helping the child to then learn how to regulate and how to get things that have to get done within the house done, whether it's bedtime bath time, because there's more of a mutual respect there. Everyone understands each other more. A child also, I find this happens quite a lot. Once you're in the play, that's when you'll see the child really coming out and expressing their needs. Yeah, I guess it it provides an opportunity for for things to come out, even if it's in character or role playing that are really a glimpse into the emotional life of our child. Exactly. Exactly. And it may be something as simple, an example of something that recently came out, there's a child who's really struggling with sleep. She was having nightmares, but didn't know how to express it. But when we were playing, started role playing nightmares, and it became very clear that this is what's happening with her. And so then the parents understood that. Right. Well, all right, let's talk about some specific challenges where the power of play can come in handy. And the challenges, especially again, with atypical kids can be when they're younger, many like Mm -hmm. life is full of them. And especially in situations where we often have to repeat, you know, or do on a daily basis, and we know we're going to come up across the similar challenges. So let's um, go through a couple of scenarios. I'm on the road this month and oh man, am I missing my sweet kitties, Haskell and Lua. They've been a part of our family for more than two years and I'm so grateful they're keeping Darren such good company while I'm away. If you're getting a new pet soon, you're probably already thinking about everything you'll need to buy. Food, toys, a cozy bed, doggy bags or litter boxes. Something you may not be thinking about though is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. 
Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. If you listen to this show, you probably know that at least one in five children is differently wired. But did you know that approximately one in two women will experience hair thinning? If you're part of that 50%, you are absolutely not alone. But because hair thinning for women isn't something people openly talk about, going through it can feel lonely and frustrating. So why not do something about it with Nutrafol? Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Everyone's root causes of hair thinning are different. So a one size fits all approach to hair growth isn't going to cut it. Nutrafol has multiple formulas tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow throughout different stages, postpartum, menopause, even for different lifestyles like a plant-based diet. To get your personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes, you can take a simple hair wellness quiz on Nutrafol.com. And because there's no prescription required, you can quickly get set up online with free shipping and automated deliveries, which make it so much easier to stick with your new hair care routine. See results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code TILT. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com promo code TILT. That's Nutrafol.com promo code TILT. You mentioned bedtime. Let's talk about Mm -hmm. that. So how can we use play to make bedtime go smoother? Because that is, that's a rough time for many families. Absolutely. So there's a lot of different ways how I would start. You do want a routine within the play because bedtime is an area where you need a routine. But very simple things, heavy work, we call it proprioceptive input, is very calming. You want to give your child heavy work, but you can't just say, here's some heavy work. So creating a game within, whether it's before we go to bed, we have this laundry basket and we have all of our stuffies and all of our things that we like inside of it that make it heavy. And they like to go on a little ride before we go to bed. So we need to push them through the hallway and start to calm them. It helps to rock them to bed. Now you're giving your child proprioceptive input, which is very calming. Before bed, you're creating a structure that, oh, look, we calm our stuffies. This also calms our body. So you're pushing this heavy laundry basket filled with their things that you're calming throughout your house. Of course, you have to not mind that they push the laundry basket on your floors. (laughs) (laughs) But after that point, oh, we have to all go and clean our teeth and then we brush our teeth. And you may brush your teeth before, whatever works better for your child. Then you may have your next play routine where you're in some sort of imaginary world with your child as you're going to sleep. But it always has to be calming. So you're always thinking nothing alerting. And alerting would be anything like bright lights, jumping, any sort of big, big, fast movements. Mm -hmm. So you're winding them down. You're keeping them calm. You're giving them the inputs they need, but you're creating a story around it. So you're doing it through play. And then does that story have to evolve? I imagine over time, 
they either catch on or it's not as entertaining. So do we just have to kind of keep shaking things up to keep them engaged? And the truth is that they will evolve the story. Uh, And you have to be willing to follow their lead. The other thing I always say is, if you watch a child, their bodies truly know what they need. A kid goes towards the sensory input that they're craving, towards the sensory input that they need. As parents, we want to kind of shape what they're doing. But if you just follow their lead, you will figure out what they need. Can you give me an example of that? Yeah. So we have a big sensory gym with a foam pit, swings, rock wall. The first thing I do when I'm evaluating a child is I, we go into the gym and I say to the child, anything you want, go for it. We see a few different things. Some kids will immediately go to the foam pit. There's an area off the foam pit where they can jump and crash. They'll be jumping and crashing. And I'm thinking, oh, that child needs more heavy work, more proprioceptive input. They're having trouble regulating. They're very much seeking this. Another child may jump right on a swing and be spinning, spinning, spinning. That child needs more vestibular input. Then there's also the child who looks in the gym and doesn't know what to do. That child may be having trouble with motor planning, ideation. They don't know how to play. So that child, we need to teach them how to play and figure out why don't they know how to play. And then from there, build off of their skills that are already there. So as you watch your child recess, I'm constantly talking to parents about recess. It's a very important time and it's where kids create connections. I'll talk to a teacher and she'll say, well, at recess, he's just running and hugging everyone or he's crashing into everything. And they are constantly saying, no, Johnny, no, Johnny, don't do this. But what if we took that and we say, Johnny, I can see your body really needs some heavy work. It's not so our friends don't like it so much when we use their body for it. But how about if we push this truck in the sand and we dig and we bury the truck? That might feel better for our body. Because then the child just transformed, I'm the bad kid, to I understand my body better. I'm not bad. I just need this work and this is a better way to get it. And I think that is a core problem. I see parents will be saying, no, stop moving. No, stop moving. Teachers, stop moving. No, no, no. And why not transform that no? And instead of saying no, let's say something more functional and teach them what their body needs. Yeah, I like that. And it makes total sense. And I I think it is something that so few of us do because often we get the message that it's a negative behavior that needs to be addressed. And so we go right to trying to find solutions that will stop the behavior as opposed to redirecting or channeling it in a, in a way that will feel good for everybody. Right. And in that scenario, you just redirected towards a more functional play because the child that's running and hugging, he is seeking play, but he doesn't know how to play for his body. So interesting. Asher was the swinging guy. And I I really found that so fascinating when Chris would say, well, swinging and spinning is what he needs to reorganize his brain, you know, and I found that Mm -hmm. fascinating. And it's, you know, he's 14 now. So he's not really into playgrounds. (laughs) But right, you know, if we do, if we're traveling, or we're somewhere, we see a swing set, he'll still want to jump on that swing for a few minutes, just because he loves that sensation. Absolutely. And, you know, I'll tell you, as a child, I was a complete, we call it vestibular seeker. I really needed a lot of swinging. 
And I remember standing in my kitchen and I used to spin around and round and round. I used to ask my sister if she wanted to do spinning contests. It wasn't until I was older and in OT school that I started to connect that that is how I would regulate myself. But my body knew that that's what I needed. So I would seek it. However, in school, what would happen? I would get in trouble. So that's where I think so many parents and teachers don't understand. And there is a sense of we're shaming our kids. And how do we form that into more of a functional play and pull the shame away? Because it really should just be, if we can teach our kids young, that a behavior is a way to communicate, but there's a more functional way to do that. How would they be as adults? It would really help them to understand themselves and have so much less shame. If you talk, I talk to parents all day and they're saying, I did this when I was little and I always got in trouble for this. They still carry that with them. They're adults with children, they're successful. And yet they still remember that time they were shamed in elementary school. Yeah. And ultimately, this is about knowing what you need. You know, it's knowing that for me, after doing something really social, I need to be I'm an introvert, and I need to be alone for a good long time. Or I mean, it ultimately, it's just kind of understanding who you are, so you can make good decisions for yourself. Right, absolutely. And I think that is what my goal with all children is, is how do we help them advocate for themselves and say, I'm not doing these things on the playground because I'm bad, but I need this instead. And that's what parents can do really through play. And I think for me, you know, a lot of parents turn to behaviorists and different things, but I do think it's also important that they truly understand whenever we are telling a child no, we're recognizing that a child communicates with their behavior. So we need to acknowledge the reason they did it and help them to understand a better way. And that is, we do it all, you know, through play. Often the answer is a more functional play. So let's talk about another situation then that can really be challenging for a lot of our kids. Things that involve waiting, like waiting in line, maybe waiting in line at the supermarket for us, you know, we travel a lot and waiting in line for security can for 45 minutes can be really hard. Yeah. So tell me. Or at Disneyland. Oh, gosh. Yes. I, I hear that a lot. Waiting is hard. It is a hard skill for any child and especially the child that's wired differently. Yeah. So how can we use play to, to minimize or to support that? What I immediately go to in waiting, there's a few things. You do want to build an expectation around the wait and kind of do help build some structure. And if we're going on this adventure, do you notice that line as the line gets smaller? That's when we're almost done. We can maybe expect always overdo it. You know, if you know the exact time that you're going to be waiting, you can use different tools. But within that scenario, the first thing I always kind of carry is some sort of fidget to help them in their hands. And then you can use anything that you see. If you have a wall nearby, I'll often have a kid say, do you think we can push the wall and make it bigger in here? I'm feeling cramped. You run against the wall and you pretend you're in this imaginary land and you're pushing against the wall and you're like, I see it moving. It's getting bigger. But again, you're providing that proprioceptive input, that regulating input. Doing it 
all through play. The other big thing, and you have to be, I'm perfectly okay with this. You have to be okay with doing this in public, but it's just little like a downward dog or anything like that. It's totally fine for a child to do a downward dog in a line. Little moves like that going through a little sequence can really help. The other thing are little games like let's look for something red and you spot how many red things and get really silly with it. If you do it, just let's just find something red. Do you see that red thing? But instead get silly, say, oh, is that red? And you're pointing to something green. You're like, oh, I forgot red isn't that color. And so getting really silly and engaged and having these games within the waiting, there is a piece I always say, build structure into transitions and into waiting. And you can do that with play, but you do want to help to regulate within that transition and help to have an expectation of how long they're going to be waiting. Because if not, it just feels like they're going to wait for an eternity to them. And it's very, very hard. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites, turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60tilt at greenchef.com slash 60tilt. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body. And so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. 
Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. I just want to ask because you mentioned you have to be okay doing this in public. Kind of in general, I think some of these things can be hard when our kids are spinning out or they are really struggling in a public situation like this and in in when they're traveling or they're at an amusement park or that kind of thing. Any thoughts or words of wisdom maybe that you've shared with parents in your practice about how to deal with judgment from others when they're trying to support their child? Yeah, great question. This is something I talk about a lot. The first thing I would say to recognize is every child has tantrum in public at least one time. So every parent has gone through this. And even though we feel like all eyes are on us, sometimes the eyes may be on you with sympathy. Like, I get it. We've all been there. But I also think just explaining he's having a tough day. A simple comment like that can really help turn the judgment around. If you're comfortable explaining that maybe he has sensory processing difficulties or he's differently wired, explaining that feel free to, but you don't need to justify yourself. I think it's okay to just recognize everyone has a child who has tantrumed in public before. And it's okay to just say, you know what, he's having a tough day and accept that. Yeah. I like that. End of story. He's having a tough day. Move along. Yeah. Nothing to see here. (laughs) If you have children, you'd experience this too type thing. Right. Right. So I want to ask about games. I don't know if this is part of the work you do. I know that for a lot of kids, whether it is being on a sports team and having the outcome not go their way or playing games, which a lot of these kids are drawn to yet really struggle with losing. Mm-hmm. Any any tips and tricks surrounding gameplay in that way? So losing is something if you sat in on one of our groups, you would see us focusing on very heavily. Because it is true that a lot of our kids really, really struggle with something not going their way. We use the term, we have to be flexible. And if anyone has heard of social thinking, that's a term that comes from them. And essentially what we are wanting to do is teach the child that there's going to be times when someone else will be flexible and at times you need to be flexible. So I always first kind of acknowledge their feelings. I don't ever say, oh, sometimes, you know, we have to be a good sport. This is just how it is. I will say, I understand that you really wanted to win and it must be really upsetting that you didn't win. When I don't win, I get really upset too. But remember that time that you did win and that felt really good. Do you think that the other, you know, so-and-so, whoever the other child is, he probably didn't feel as good too, but it's important that we can be flexible and sometimes we win and sometimes we lose, but it's okay to have your feelings. It's just not okay to have a big reaction. But so you're saying, I understand your feeling, but your reaction is the piece that we need to work on, but your feeling is still valid. It's okay to be upset that you didn't win. How many adults do you know when they don't get the promotion that they want? are upset. It's the same as a child losing a game. It's okay that that adult is upset and it's okay that that child is upset. 
but we just want to teach them to have a smaller reaction to that situation. So for parents who are listening, whose kids really struggle and may think this is always going to be hard, do you, with consistency over time, is this something that that kids can generally learn at least coping mechanisms for gameplay? Absolutely. I see a lot of success with this. Actually, probably one of the areas that we see the most success in. Interesting. I think when when a child really understands that losing a game is normal and you make it okay to have those feelings, just change their reaction, they respond very, very well. Right. Very cool. So before we go, do you have any recommendations for if parents are looking to buy some toys or games that can especially help with the skills we're looking to develop? Any favorites you want to share with us? Yeah, absolutely. So my number one thing that I always kind of preach about toys is you don't want toys that play for you, but rather toys that you play with. That means kind of no light up toys or toys that will drill for you or anything like that. You want more of a wooden base of toys that forces your child to be creative and play with the toy. The other thing, um, if you're looking at books, there's really amazing books out there that help children learn how to be flexible and things that things dealing with things that are difficult. There's a book called the worry bug and it's the line is the worry woos, but the book that I'm specifically talking about is a worry bug. It's a great book that helps teach kids about anxiety. There's all these different books out there that you can read and start to relate to themselves. But I think in terms of toys, it's making sure that the toys are simple just a ball, not a ball that when you bounce it, it lights up a simple wooden toy or a very simple like basket, things like that. And using things like saving your boxes, everyone relies on Amazon nowadays, use those Amazon boxes, save them and create something out of them. So keeping things very simple. The other thing I always say is I do a lot of toy room consultations and I'll walk into a toy room and I will see a million toys and they're everywhere. Even if they're organized, there's so many toys. You don't need that many toys. Your child really only needs a few toys at a time because that becomes overwhelming. So take those other toys and put them away in storage and then rotate the toys out. So maybe every month you change the toys, but you only have a few toys available. I love that you do toy room consultations. I've never heard of that before. And that sounds kind of fun. Yeah, you know, it started because I was constantly preaching to parents about changing the environment of the playroom. You don't need a million paintings on the walls. That's all overstimulating. And if you have so many toys, all it does to a child who has any sort of difficulty with regulation is they're going to jump from toy to toy to toy to toy. It's not going to teach them to play. We're trying to increase attention and teach a child to play. But if they have a million options, how are they going to choose one when they already have difficulties with regulation? If they have five options, it's much easier to pick one. If the walls are too overstimulating, how are they going to focus on playing when they're visually distracted? And we know that this is a difficult area for many of our kids. So keeping things really, really simple, I always say having a cozy regulation corner 
where you've eliminated all, it's either a tent, something that you've eliminated all visual input and you go in and it's more of a calming area and their bodies know I can go there to calm, but it's never a timeout and never a punishment. It's always their option to go there. This is great. Well, Allie, thank you so much. This has been really interesting. It's something we haven't had an episode about before is just the power of play. So I appreciate the strategies that you shared and and your insight. Can you let listeners know where they can learn more about you and your work? Sure. So you can learn more at playtoprogress.com. That's the number two. So the word play, the number two progress.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at play to progress. And we post a lot of different videos. I do informational videos as well as tips and tricks every day. Oh, awesome. Well, Allie, thank you so much for uh, coming by on the podcast today and sharing with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was so much fun. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, including a link to Allie's website, Play to Progress, which, by the way, has a lot of great videos and tips on handling everything from picky eating and toe walking to proprioception challenges, as well as all the other resources we discussed today, visit tiltparenting.com slash session 165. Don't forget to leave a rating or a review for Tilt Parenting on iTunes if you haven't done so already. Ratings and reviews help keep this podcast visible in an ever-growing sea of podcasts. Thank you so much for considering. Lastly, if you want to stay in the loop on everything happening with Tilt Parenting, and I will just say that I am cooking up some new programs for the fall, join us by signing up at Tilt Parenting. You can sign up through our seven-day challenge, which is a seven-day free challenge where every day for a week, you'll get a video with a little tip or strategy to use in your life that day to help create a better experience in your parenting relationship with your child. Or you can just sign up on the bottom of any page on Tilt Parenting. There'll be a place to sign up and to stay in the loop on what's happening with all things Tilt Parenting. Every week I send out a simple, short and sweet newsletter with a little personal note for me, highlights of the week's episode, five articles that you need to be reading that week that have to do with parenting unique kids, and also a quick look at upcoming events that you'll want to have on your radar. And that's all for this week. Thanks again for listening. And for more information on Tilt Parenting, just visit www.tiltparenting.com. Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? Well, I've got you. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and the host of the Joyful Courage podcast. Every week I come to you with an interview, digging into tough topics with experts I trust and solo shows that go deep into the personal growth and mindset needed to raise teens in a way that grows them into confident, capable young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and 
and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts.